Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Face coverings. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. They're back. Face coverings. That's, uh... J.B. Pritzker, who is uh, in the middle of yet another battle that nobody's paying attention to except for geeks like me uh, over who should be the chair of the only Democratic Party. I'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll get into that later. But I'm like, J.B., why are you picking that fight? I don't. What do I know? You know what I'm saying? What do I know? I know. He's got to be worried about the big feller. Hey, friends, are you ready for government to dictate and control your lives again? You're one step closer. J.B. Pritzker, our tyrannical governor. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about this, but yeah, you're right. J.B., you got to be thinking about D.B., not Robin Kelly, not Lisa Hernandez. Why you care who's the head of the Illinois Democratic Party? You got to worry about Darren Bailey. Wake up. Come on. Damn. Damn. All right. Your Ben Jaromsky show for Tuesday, July 26th is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink every now and again. Talk talk about what kind of pond to smoke and where to buy it and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jaromsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jaromsky. J-O-R-A V is in victory S-K-Y Face coverings It is Tuesday, July 26th And this is the Ben Jarofsky Show And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Dome Chicago, and here's why. Because Mayor Lord Lightfoot wants to put a dome on Soldier Field. That's why. It's a story. You know, it's just, it's it's one of those stories that broke just, just too late for my column. <laughs> it's, it's like, my column comes out this week. I'm like, Ben, there's a bigger story. Because I was still writing about the last mayoral initiative, bringing NASCAR to Chicago. Finally finished addressing that all-important issue, and then she's got a dome. Here's the thing about Mayor Lori Lightfoot, where she's at right now uh, in her uh, being mayor. Mayor Lori Lightfoot just woke up and realized something that Rahm Emanuel knew instinctively from the moment he stepped into office, as did Richie Daly. That when you're the mayor, you could do stuff. It may be stuff that nobody wants. It may be stuff that nobody needs. It may be stuff that nobody can afford. And it's certainly not anything that anybody wants to pay more taxes for. But you're the mayor. You can't do the things that people really need, either incapable or unwilling. You know, you're too afraid to go up against the powers that be in this city. So you do the stuff that people don't want, except for a little core of business leaders. So that's who the mayor gathered yesterday at a press conference. They gathered the business leader of the city of Chicago. 
And she unveiled a plan to put a dome over Soldier Field. It's going to cost us $2.5 billion, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know how she's going to pay for it. Who knows? They go, well, naming rights. We're going to sell the naming rights. You're going to sell the naming rights to Soldier Field for $2.5 billion? Don't think so. I think the Bears are going to want a piece of that pie, too. They're just going to let you have the full $2.5 If this fantasy ever came to fruition, let me just point out something. The Bears are about to cut a deal with the Arlington Heights, where I am absolutely positive the Arlington Heights hasn't come out with this yet. Well, Arlington Heights will kick over millions and millions of TIF dollars, property tax dollars. You suckers and saps in Arlington Heights are going to raise your taxes to pay for your, your mayor and your city council to give it to the Bears. Not my problem. I got enough on my play here in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, and the country to worry about property taxpayers getting scammed in Arlington Heights. But that's a reality. Bears are out of the city. Here's Mayor Lori Lightfoot. No, no, no. We can keep in the city if we put a dome on Soldier Field. $2.5 billion. They won't tell you how they're going to pay for it. And then they bring out a guy named Bob Dunn, very successful, big-time developer, Bob Dunn. And he's like the maestro, the mastermind of this plan. He he talked like 15 minutes at the press conference. Uh, And they point out in the Sun-Times, the Tribune, that Bob Dunn has great experience building football stadiums, cities all over the country. So, of course, uh, Chicago would employ him. And he apparently didn't get any money for this whatsoever. Uh, For whatever efforts he contributed to the Lori Lightfoot team, he did it uh, gratis. Also, like to point out that Bob Dunn is a big-time developer who's developing or wants to develop a huge – Development right across Lakeshore Drive from Soldier Field. Now, I ask you, people of Chicago, my distinguished guest, Maya Dukmasifa, is waiting on deck right now. I ask everybody in the city of Chicago, including my distinguished guest, Maya Dukmasifa, is that conflict of interest of some sorts to have the developer of a huge development, proposed development, just across the street from Soldier Field, being the guy who's leading the city's efforts to put a dome on Soldier Field. I'm just asking you, liberal Dems, the city of Chicago, is that a conflict of interest? Now, here's where I say something uh, <laughs> I never thought I would say. MAGA kind of has the point. MAGA kind of has a point. MAGA's always complaining that Dems don't really believe in the things they say, and they hold Donald Trump to a higher set of standards than they hold themselves. Well, that's kind of implied in what MAGA says, but that's kind of what they're saying. So MAGA is very upset, for instance, that Dems are believe that Clarence Thomas should recuse himself from all Supreme Court cases involving the insurrection. Now, I agree with that point of view. His wife, Ginny Thomas, is an activist who is like leading the insurrection, if not leading it. OK, she's one of the leaders of the insurrection. I would say I'd say that was accurate, that she was very much part of the people who were planning the um, the challenge. Stop the steal apparently believes that the election was stolen when it wasn't. So that's the wife of the Supreme Court justice who has to rule on things like whether Trump has to abide by congressional subpoenas, whether people who are being subpoenaed by Congress to testify like his wife have to abide by those subpoenas. I would say that's a conflict of interest. Well, okay, Dems, isn't it a bit of a conflict of interest to have the developer of a huge mega project across the street from Soldier Field be the consultant leading the charge to put the dome over Soldier Field? I I don't know, Dems. I think it's about time you start holding yourself 
to the same standard that you hold MAGA. I got much more to say about this, and I will say it as the week unfolds about the mayor suddenly discovering it's fun to be the mayor and uh, come up with ideas that nobody wants, needs, or can afford. I think the time has moved on to bring on my distinguished guest. We have a little talk and promotion to do. So without further ado, distinguished guest, welcome to the show, Maya duke Massava. Glad to be back, as always. Yes. I'm not going to put you in the middle of that one, so I won't ask you whether it's a conflict of interest for the developer of a huge development across the street from Soldier Field to be the chief flag waver and cheerleader for the mayor's plan to put a dome on Soldier Field. I believe it's a conflict. Don't ask me because I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. That's not a bad. Uh, this is not a story. I'm, I'm, I'm blissfully tuned out of this entire saga. Uh, yeah, you'll only uh, start paying attention. No, you won't even know uh, once I'll, you're. I'll start paying attention once it's in court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, once it's in court, or once your property tax bill starts going up uh, to pay for it. All right, first things first. Let's promote uh, another first Tuesday. Uh, Maya and I uh, co-host the first Tuesday show, first Tuesday of every month at the Hideout. Uh, Maya, take it away. Uh, tell folks uh, when, where, and all that stuff. We have a very important show for you guys, August 2nd, next Tuesday. Uh, show is going to start at 6 p.m., and we're dedicating this one to a discussion of whether abortion access is as safe in the state of Illinois as everyone seems to think and assume. Um, since the overturn of, turn of Roe, um, we've got states all around us that have Uh, severely limited or banned abortion or are in the process of banning abortion entirely. And, um, you know, people, as we've heard, uh, people are flooding to Illinois as a safe haven where they can continue to get the uh, abortion care that they need. Um, But uh, as you pointed out, as soon as that decision was leaked last spring, things are not as permanently safe here as a lot of people might assume. So we're going to have Two uh, guests come on to have this conversation with us. We've got Personal Pack founder. Um, uh, <laughs> why am I blinking on his name? TC Terry Cosgrove. Terry Cosgrove, thank you. Uh, and we've got Chicago Abortion Fund Executive Director Megan J. Fode joining us uh, for this conversation. It should be really interesting. We'll talk about what it could mean if the state Supreme Court flips Republican this fall, which it could for the first time since the 1960s, we'll talk about how secure and stable is the pro-access consensus in the state legislature. We'll talk about what might happen if we have a Republican governor again. So um, I think people generally have a sense that Illinois is a state where a Republican governor is never all that all, all that far away as a possibility, but we're, we've been used to a Democratic majority and supermajority in the state legislature since the 90s. Um, but now with Madigan out of the picture, with a lot of other political changes in Springfield, um, I think it'll be good um, to talk about, you know, realistically, what is the, how, how strong is the pro-access consensus? And despite the laws we have, you know, making abortion safe and legal and accessible, you know, uh, as we know, those laws can be, you know, ch- changed and repealed and overturned. So I'm um, really looking forward to this. Terry, Terry Cosgrove has been in this in this fight, in this struggle for decades. Um, Megan is really on the front lines and in the vanguard of, of organizations um, 
taking care of folks who are have no you know no or limited options in their states now. So I'm also curious to hear you know from what 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 the abortion fund is dealing with and kind of what's on the horizon for them, even if the situation is stable for a while. And so it should be a really good conversation. We're going to start at six o'clock at the hideout Tuesday, August 2nd. Um, you can find tickets online already. I recommend you get them because we've already, we've already sold quite a few. So it might be a sold out show on the hideout patio too. Um, I'm still, I, I just got over, my COVID, you've had COVID already, uh, so we're we're keeping it safe and keeping it outdoors. But definitely, highly recommend you grab a ticket ahead of time. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And uh, Terry Cosgrove, uh, a little shout out to Terry, who is always giving me grief and a hard time when he comes on the show. Uh, but the, he really does know uh, this issue inside and out. Uh, and Megan was great. Cause she's she's got a she's you're, you're right. That was really well done the way you did that. She's the next generation is to pick up the torch, so to speak. Uh, uh, and TC is uh, Terry Cosgrove is really monitoring uh, the House and the Senate races here in Illinois. There, those, there's a lot of pivotal seats. Uh, he could tell you all about them. Uh, and of course, those Supreme Court judge justice seats, huge, hugely important. Actually, everything from top to bottom. And I, I we'll start with the governor's race. I want to point this out to you, Maya. Um, I'm watching Darren Bailey. Darren Bailey, state senator, extreme MAGAite, uh, fiercely uh, loyal to Donald Trump, uh, used Donald Trump's endorsement to help uh, distance uh, himself from all the other candidates uh, in the primary in June to win. He was victorious. Uh, I think he got well over 50% of the vote uh, in a six-person primary, uh, in part, no doubt, to the uh, rally that Donald Trump held in downstate Illinois for Darren Bailey and uh, Congresswoman Mary Miller. But this is what you have to do if you're a Republican running uh, in Illinois. Illinois is not a MAGA hardcore state. Darren Bailey, uh, Maya cannot let his MAGA freak flag fly as fiercely as if he were, what, a gubernatorial candidate in Mississippi or Alabama or Texas or Missouri. He has to bring it in a little bit. And uh, to that point, I noted uh, in Shia Kapos's, uh, a column today in Politico, uh, there's an issue right now where Republican uh, legislators outraged at Congressman Adam Kinzinger and the role he's playing in the January 6th insurrection uh, congressional committee have moved to chastise him. Uh, and Darren Bailey used to be at the forefront of that movement to chastise Adam Kinzinger as being disloyal to Donald Trump, disloyal to MAGA. Maya, he's now running statewide for governor. He pulled back. He pulled back from me. He said, it's time to look forward. Do you see what I'm saying, Maya? It's time for us as Republicans to look forward and not look back, which, which is really strange and bizarre because his party is dedicated to the proposition that the 2020 election was stolen. And as a result, we need to change laws throughout the country uh, to guarantee that no future elections be stolen. So he's already distancing himself from what MAGA truly believes, which interesting if Donald Trump gets upset at him uh, 
for doing that. Even if it's like a lame diluted distancing, it's not like he said, Oh, this, the stop the steal movement is based on a lie. He just said, no, I'm not even going to pay attention to it. I'm not going to address it because he doesn't want to be caught up uh, in the rhetoric that would alienate one force or another. I believe it's going to make somewhat of a distancing on the issue of abortion. And probably my guess, Maya is that it would be on uh whether abortion should be banned in the case of a woman's life being in danger or rape or incest. I think he might. I don't know how much wiggle room MAGA will give him, Maya, you know, because they're pretty insistent that abortion is itself uh, murder, that from the moment the egg is fertilized, that's a living being. And so under no circumstances can you justify an abortion. That's where they're at right now. So yeah, I don't much. Go ahead. I think that it, this this on this issue, it'll probably depend more of sort of the um, specific local climate on this issue among conservatives, you know, downstate and in the suburbs in Illinois. Like the, I think that it's probably what's going to be more determining of Darren Bailey's positions on this stuff will be like how important this issue is to that conservative voter base in Illinois, rather than where's national MAGA on the issue. I think it's all very specific to uh, the kind of conservative reminder you're talking about. And I'm not that intimately familiar with Republican politics in the state of Illinois, but I feel like there's kind of a general arc between, you know, religious, basically people like religious conservatives um, but also a lot of just like, let's not have taxes type people who otherwise don't have strong positions on this. So I don't know which faction is stronger in Illinois Republican politics currently in the state. And I think that's what it's going to depend on. Yeah. Well, and, uh, exactly. Uh, and whether he does get uh, tremendous uh, pushback. I, I've never seen a MAGA do the kind of thing that Democrats do, for instance, where they allow uh, their candidates to dilute the message. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, my, it's quite common for Democrats to say, well, I understand. I remember Barack Obama literally saying this to a group of activists uh, in Chicago when he was running for Senate way back when. And he was talking about gun control. And he goes, I know everybody in this room wants gun control, but to win as a senator, I have to get downstate votes. And gun control is very unpopular downstate. So you got to give me a little slack on this. And all these, even these Democratic activists were like, not in Well, they were so in love with Obama. He could have said anything. And they're starry eyed, you know. Uh, but I don't know how much distance hardcore Republicans will give a candidate. Uh, on an issue like abortion, you follow me? Like, will they allow him to be pragmatic? What do you think? Um, I really don't know. I don't. Ha- I don't have my. I don't have my fingers on the pulse of the Illinois conservative coalition at all. So I really, I wouldn't venture a guess. I don't know what is currently more important to those folks here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, mean, I, I do think that it's probably a little bit different than the situation in Indiana. I think that the religious anti-abortion contingent in Indiana politics is has a, a way louder, stronger voice than it does in Illinois 
Republican circles. That's my impression. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and Indiana, this was, it will be tested. Uh, I just did a story about this, so it's sort of fresh in my mind uh, with the story that came out of Ohio. I'm sure we'll be talking about this at the hideout. Um, uh, the story that comes out of Ohio, uh, the 10-year-old girl was raped uh, and uh, she couldn't get an abortion in Ohio because the sixth the law uh, prohibited abortions, even in the case of rape. Uh, after six weeks, she was a few days after six weeks. So she went to Indiana, a doctor in Indiana uh, performed the procedure. Uh, and then the attorney general of the state of Indiana when this news broke, instead of being outraged uh, that a, a 10 year old, the law in Ohio uh, would uh, prevent a 10 year old a girl who'd been raped from getting an abortion, was outraged at the doctor who had performed the abortion uh, and said that he was going to investigate as to whether she had uh, received the proper, uh, you know, uh, she filled out all the forms correctly and dotted the I's and crossed the T's, which she had. Uh, but it was interesting. His gut reaction was just what you were saying from Indiana, appealing to the hardcore anti-abortion. I don't know if that will play out uh, in uh, Illinois. And to that point, there's an attorney general's race as well. A gentleman named Thomas DeVore is running as a Republican. Uh, that will be hugely important on the issue of abortion, I'm sure. Uh, Terry Cosgrove uh, and Megan will have a lot to say about that race as well. Um, uh, by the way, before I let you lose this issue and move on to your last story, I just need to know uh, how important was the abortion issue or was it important at all uh, in the uh, judicial races uh, that we just completed uh, here uh, in Illinois, uh, excuse me, in Cook County that you uh, covered so well for Injustice Watch? Well, it's not an issue. There is no such thing as an issue in judicial races. They don't talk. They don't. They can't and don't talk about any issues because of the possibility that these issues may end up coming up in cases that they have to hear. So the judicial code of ethics, which also governs the behavior of candidates for judge, is very clear that you are not supposed to be weighing in with your opinions about any actual issues. So you can talk about issues that are sort of related to, you know, the court system. So like, okay, some more savvy, experienced candidates, you might get them talking about like, okay, it's a problem systemically that like poor people don't get a fair shake in court. What can we do about that issue? Like you might have a conversation like that, but you're not going to ever get a candidate for judge weighing in on abortion. Uh, they, if, I mean, if you did, that would be like immediately ethics complaints and, you know, uh, the whole shitstorm around them. So, and even in the Supreme court candidates where obviously the reason why people are worried about Republicans uh, taking over the Illinois Supreme court is in no small part because of the possibility of, you know, future attempts to get rid of Illinois' abortion access laws. Uh, but you're not going to get, you're not going to hear those candidates weighing in on abortion. Well, they'll just let the world know that they're pro-choice or... Uh, they will never tell you that. Oh, I will guarantee you. I will, I will bet you lunch at the restaurant of your choice that uh, almost all the campaign literature that the Democratic candidates for the Supreme Court will put, put out will let people know one way or another they're pro-choice. Either they'll say it uh, or they'll say it they'll, they'll, a personal pack. Yeah, there you go. There you they'll go. say it that way. But you, won't, yeah. but you won't get them talking on this. Well, we'll see. 
Uh, That's an interesting question because it's definitely when the Supremes, uh, when the nominees come before the Senate at their hearings, they're, this this is a question each one gets. In fact, Dems are right now chastising the three uh, Trump appointees for not following up with their pledge that they made before the Senate. And, and in addition, Clarence Thomas. Uh, so uh, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. You're not supposed to uh, uh, be prejudiced and have an opinion before the case, a specific case comes before you. But I think there's going to be a lot of, how do I put this, um, telegraphing going on of person's general worldview uh, on the matter of abortion by these judicial. And you're right. It could just be we got personal PACs endorsement, uh, which is sort of sends a message out as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, before I let you go, I got to get your uh, your thoughts on your latest story. Uh, which ran a couple, oh, God, lost track of time. It's been at least a week, uh, yeah. and I meant to text you about it. Interesting story about uh, votes counted in the sheriff's race. Uh, this is an old, <laughs> this comes up from time to time uh, with our wacky system, our ballot access system. Uh, we candidates are on a ballot, off a ballot, and then they're actually on the ballot, but the votes may or may not get counted. Uh, and then uh, somehow or other, we're supposed to move on when all is uh, over, uh, as though some votes that people made were just thrown away. Why don't you fill us in on the details? Yes, so this was actually a story that uh, I came across when um, it was brought to my attention by Sylvia Snowden, who is um, the uh, political forum host on CAN-TV, um, and, uh, she gave me a call in, on election day or the day after asking me about what happened when I went to vote, whether I saw four names on the ballot for sheriff or two, whether I got any information about, uh, the candidates for sheriff and I had not, uh, there were four names on my ballot and, you know, I had heard basically my, the, 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 the degree to which I had followed this whole saga um, you know, was the last I heard was that at the end of May, Carmen Navarro Jercon and Latanya Ruffin had both gotten back on the ballot after uh, taking the unusual step of challenging the Cook County Election Board's decision to throw them off for uh, various reasons. So Tom Dart's people, you know, or what we can surmise to be, Tom Dard's people had challenged um, <clears throat> had challenged both of these women candidates for sheriff based on different reasoning, and uh, the election board threw them off. And then this happens rarely, but they but but both of them took their cases to the circuit court, and the circuit court found in their favor. So I had kind of stopped following the story after that. I just assumed that they were both on the ballot. But then in June, uh, when early voting had already started. Uh, the objectors appealed the circuit court decision in favor of the candidates and the appellate and two separate appellate court panels uh, ruled on these two different cases and found that indeed these candidates should have been taken off the ballot, that they, that the Cook County election board's decision, initial decision was correct. And uh, Jercon and Ruffin were not, were not on the ballot anymore, but it was way too late to reprint the ballots and reprogram the computer screens. And so when people went to vote, they saw all four names, but they were supposed to be informed 
that actually two of these people are off the ballot. They were supposed to be notices taped up in the voting booth. I don't know. Did you vote on election day? No, I voted before I, I had to do uh, early voting. So when you early voted, did you get a notice in your early vote envelope with your ballot about these candidates? I feel like I'm being deposed and I really enjoy this. Uh, no, uh, to the best of my re-election, recollection, I did not. Well, so that, you, it was probably in there, but you may not have noticed it because when the election board sent out the ballots to people uh, that were requested by mail, did you, did you vote by mail? Uh, no, I went to Wells Park on the corner of Lincoln and Sunnyside in voting. Ah, so there were supposed to be signs letting you know about this issue at the early voting site and in the voting booth, in the little cubby booth that you vote in. So it sounds like you have the experience like most of us did, which is that there were no signs and we had no notifications about this. So what, what we found out was that it, there was probably, in Chicago alone, there was probably about 90,000 votes that were cast for these disqualified candidates. And then in the county, there were a few tens of thousands more. So altogether, ballpark, there was probably about 130,000 votes that were cast for these two candidates that did not count. The election authorities can't actually say how many votes were cast. They, I mean, they technically could, but they're not allowed to release that information. Um, about how many votes were cast for the disqualified candidates. But in all likelihood, it wouldn't have changed the result of the election because Tom Dart won like 86% of the vote. So uh, Nolan Rivera, the only other challenger who was still qualified to be on the ballot, he only got about 30,000 votes. So it wouldn't have significantly changed uh, the outcome of the election. Um, but it's still, you know, from an election integrity standpoint uh, and a, you know, ballot access standpoint, it's still a kind of a significant issue that 130,000 of us cast votes that did not count. And especially in today's climate, questioning the integrity of elections, this issue, you know, we felt it was important to do this story to also just kind of like grapple with the question of like, can we trust our election authorities? And what I came away with from my reporting after talking to a bunch of lawyers about this and stuff, people who are in the know, who are veteran observers of elections in Chicago and Cook County, is that these kinds of things happen and they happen every election. And apparently this is really not that surprising or uncommon. And while it's unfortunate, especially for the people who cast votes that didn't count, uh, the you know, at the end of the day, in order to overturn the results of an election in court, you have to have a way stronger case than what the situation is here. You would have to really prove that the results would have been different if, you know, we had another election. So uh, I would just encourage people not to assume that this means that the Cook County Clerk's Office and the Chicago Board of Elections can't run an election, but definitely there was a mistake in terms of like, you know, notifying people properly. And what contributed to that, as it turned out, was we found out in our reporting, was that the Chicago Board of Elections had like a massive amount of people either resign or not show up to serve as election judges on election day. And um, it it's not totally clear why this happened there's like there they, they basically had 35 percent fewer people than they had counted on um actually show up and work as election judges which led to a lot of confusion and miscommunication at the polling places so um it's uh you know they're they're 
I still haven't heard like a really uh, clear explanation for why so many people would have quit. Um, but it's uh, something that the election board hopes will not be an issue in November. They're working on improving communication with their judges. And um, yeah, uh, I would not encourage people to draw the conclusion that we can't trust the board of elections to run our elections. All right. As nerdy as it sounds, I think I find this a fascinating issue. Uh, and I actually am going to suggest it to you. Just think about it for like a first uh, Tuesday. Uh, and I'll tell you why. There's so many things you said I took notes on uh, that to follow up on. Let, I'll just start with this. Uh, I've dealt with this particular uh, issue before. Uh, so the Board of Elections is not allowed uh, to release the information of how many votes uh, these candidates got. And I, I just find that so absurd that they're not allowed to release that there's a law in the state law book that prevents them from telling us how people voted. I find that an absurd law violates all just what all our, our principles of transparency. I mean, we should, there's no compelling reason why we would not be able to see how many votes were cast. This, this came up my, uh, in a case, a similar case where Pat Quinn uh, had got on the ballot or was trying to get on the ballot, a uh, referendum that would uh, limit the mayor to two terms. And Rahm Emanuel fought it. Even after he uh, announced he wasn't running, he fought it. Uh, and the Supremes kicked, uh, ruled with Rahm, big surprise there. Uh, and uh, it, it never made, it, it was, um, it was, but by the time they ruled against Pat Quinn, the ballots have been the same thing. The ballots have been produced. Uh, and so we got to vote on it as a people in Chicago. And I know how I voted for it. I, they, I don't know if you remember this. It was, um, I think it was in the uh, 2018 uh, elect, gubernatorial election. Anyway. And so I been, remember not knowing that that was not supposed to be on the ballot. Yeah. Well, it, it was um, because if, it was very similar because uh, I forget Pat Quinn could give you the whole story, you know, like who ruled for him, who ruled against him. Uh, but his, his uh, initiative was still very much alive when the ballots went out, when early voting started. Uh, and so what is the compelling reason? Just do your best to um, uh, play devil's advocate with here. What is the compelling reason for having a law that prevents that information from being released? If you, this is my understanding of it. So one of the, one of the election lawyers I talked to explained to me in the context of explaining why it would be so hard, for example, for, you know, like Nolan Rivera in this case to go to court and get the court to order a new election based on this whole mix up. Um, The way this lawyer was explaining to me is that like the election law in Illinois, the way that it's, written and the way it's been kind of uh, reinforced through various court decisions is heavily invested in the finality of elections. So you have an election and here are the results and it, it, and the courts view it as, you know, it should be hard to near impossible to get the results of an election overturned and a new election held because it's a slippery slope 
once you start letting people cry foul after the results are out, um, it's very diff. You know, it, it, it would undermine conf. It would fir- it would do more to undermine confidence in the election process if it was easier to overturn the results of the election. So um, my feeling, you know, the way that I would understand the fact that we can't even know the number of votes that were cast for a referendum or a candidate that's not supposed to be on the ballot is that if those numbers were reported, it would contribute to um, questioning of the, of the, of the, of the election results and contribute to an erosion of confidence that the election results are what they are and they're fine. So having a number on it, you know, we just estimated based on, we looked at the, the previous um, contested race on the ballot, which was for Cook County Board President. We looked at how many people, ca- how many votes were counted that were cast in that race. And then we looked at the sheriff's race and we saw a dip of about like 130,000 votes so we figured, and then the, the next contested race after that was for assessor, and it was back at about the same level as the county board president votes. So we figured it's not that 130,000 people just didn't cast a vote for sheriff, but cast a vote for the prior and following race. It's probably that those are the votes that people cast for the candidates that didn't count. So, uh, you know, it's knowing the number would probably just so more doubt and create more situations where people could sow more doubt. So I would guess that's why that's why the court order came down saying that like you cannot divulge how many how many votes were cast for the candidates who are disqualified. Oh, so that was a court order as opposed to a law. I I, yeah. I thought it was a law. Okay, so it was a court order. Well, I uh, respectfully disagree uh, with that premise, uh, and I'll tell you that uh, I understand their logic that uh, they're working from, but I I just believe that a lack of transparency actually contributes uh, more to an erosion because with a lack of transparency and a lack of information, then people are free to say whatever they want, which they're free to say whatever they want anyway, but you can't counter it. Uh, And so much the same way that MAGA has been going around making stuff up about uh, what happened in 2020 because the, their, their, uh, Allegations are investigated because information uh, is released uh, counter countering them. You could say with absolute certainty, that's not true. But if you hold on their information, if you withhold it from public scrutiny, then it allows misinformation to flourish. And it also encourages people to say, see, they won't tell you the truth. They won't let us know what's going on. So just- yeah, that's true. It's also that's also a good point. I, 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 I definitely hear you. I remember and uh, everything's TIFF related. I'll just end it with this one, Maya. I remember in 2000, oh my God, it was back in the O's. Uh, Mike Quigley, when he was on the Cook County Board of Commissioners, had a, uh, a uh, proposal that would spell out exactly uh, how much of property taxes went to TIFFs on the property tax bill. And I remember uh, Cook County Commissioner arguing that too much information would confuse taxpayers. <laughs> As if they are already confused by the TIF program. Too much information, uh, Maya, would confuse. Better keep them dumb in the dark. We're better off. So that's kind of... Well, I never never agree with the notion that too much information is confusing. 
Yeah. Uh, and the other, but I really do want to emphasize the point that Maya has been making that even if uh, all these uh, votes, we could see the votes, it would not, there's no doubt in my mind uh, that it would impact the election that Tom Dart would have won uh, anyway. Yeah. You don't, you don't even need in our system a uh, majority. You just need a plurality and there's no way. Uh, yeah. I mean, if he got every one of those 130,000 votes, even if Nolan Rivera had gotten them, he would yeah. not be anyone close to beating Tom Dart. So here's the other question that I had uh, when I was listening to you lay out the uh, situation. Um, why can't we just have a drop dead deadline on these matters? In other words, uh, there's ballot challenge. As you pointed out, there's ballot challenges in every uh, ballot access challenges in every election. It's a typical uh, counterpunch uh, that uh, candidates uh, pound away at each other. Uh, it's easier to win an election if you have no candidate, uh, no op- opposition. So if you can knock off your opponent in a ballot access challenge, you're that much closer to victory. Uh, so do you know what I'm saying? So instead of having these things drag out all the way to election day and sometimes beyond, I think there was cases where it went beyond after the election. It's all been decided. Has anybody ever given any thought that, that you know of to having like, okay, you, this thing has to be closed within a week. Uh, go ahead. Well, so on the, on the objection side of things, like in terms of how long you have to object to a candidate that does have a firm deadline. And the election board's decisions about the merit of those objections, they also have deadlines. But I think that where where it gets tricky is that, first of all, it's very rare that anyone goes to circuit court to challenge the election board's decisions. It takes a lot of money. Like most candidates just don't have those kinds of resources. So the fact that in this case, both of these challenged candidates who were taken off the ballot mustered up the resources to take their case to the to, to, to the county circuit court. That's pretty extraordinary. And I think that, I don't know. I don't know the exact legal reason, but I would imagine that you can't, that the state legislature can't possibly predict all the different ways that things can play out once the cases get to court. Maybe they can't, maybe they can't say like the judiciary has to resolve within X amount of time, because it probably all depends on, you know, uh, various factors about the functioning of any particular county's court, something that can get resolved in two days in, you know, uh, St. Louis County or wherever, Kankakee County, that doesn't mean that that can get resolved in two days and cook, you know, it all, it all depends on the volume of cases probably and whatever, whatever. I do know that like the, uh, in this case, when the decisions were appealed, uh, the appellate court moved pretty fast. They moved probably about as fast as they possibly could to issue a decision. And then both of these candidates had also taken, they tried to appeal the appellate court's decision to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court didn't take their cases. And that decision from the Supreme Court also came very fast. So, um, yeah, I guess it just, I, I... it happens rarely enough, maybe, that they don't have these kinds of rules, or maybe it has to do with just like this legislator, you know, the state legislature can't tell judges in what time frame they have to decide a case. 
Well, whatever. I find it absolutely fascinating, uh, even if it is kind of nerdy. And I'll repeat what Maya said at the outset. It's extremely important because right now, right now in our country, uh, as Maya was pointing out, uh, the integrity of our uh, democracy, the integrity of our election system is being challenged. Uh, It's part of a political movement that uh, roughly 75%, if you believe the polls, of Republicans have bought into. Uh, It's part of a political movement that is the driving force behind many gubernatorial and senatorial and state legislative races uh, throughout the country. Uh, If if you leave that bubble in Chicago and Cook County, the little blue bubble you live in, ladies and gentlemen, you will realize uh, that what Maya is saying is very true. Uh, and so it's absolutely, in my humble opinion, very important uh, that we uh, bend over backwards uh, to make our election system as transparent, as open, uh, and as fair as we possibly can. Uh, because there's a disinformation campaign going on right now, Maya. And it's not that strong in uh, Illinois. As I said, uh, Darren Bailey, is, as much as he has contributed to it in the past, is kind of trying to distance himself a little bit from it because he's worried about getting elected. But uh, I let's not forget what's happening in Wisconsin uh, where they're still trying to overturn. I don't know if you know this, um, I've been following this woman and they're still trying to overturn the electors that went for Biden and replace them with Trump electors. So uh, it's a very important story that Maya wrote and I urge everybody to check it out. Man, I'm a big fan of a justice watch since you went over there. Uh, you guys do great work and I'll say what I said the last time on the show. I do believe in justice watch's judicial guide made a difference in this last, um, uh, election cycle with those boring down ballot races that nobody paid attention to. You don't know how many listeners have told me how they geeked out on that thing. Uh, so, yeah. you know, like it, it made a difference too. And we're making a new guide. We're hard at work now for our guide for the retention election. Cause once that November ballot hits, you know, you've got 64 judges that you have to vote yes or no, keeping them on the bench. So we're working hard to give you a guide to give you everything you need to know to make a decision about that. Uh, and uh, that's retention. Will you? I can't remember. I asked you this before. Will you be doing uh, Supreme Court uh, races as well? We don't have any Supreme Court races in Cook County. Got it. I mean, actually, we do have one. We have one. Uh, Mary Jane Thies, uh, Thies. So, yeah, there will be a Supreme Court retention candidate in Cook County, and there will be a guide entry on her. Okay. All right. One more time before I let you go, promote uh, the August 2nd show. Tickets are going fast. Uh, take it away, Maya. August 2nd, next Tuesday, 6 p.m. at the hideout. We're having a conversation about whether abortion access is really as safe in Illinois as everyone assumes it to be. Our guests are going to be Terry Cosgrove, founder of Personal Pack, and Megan Jafo, uh, the executive director of the Chicago Abortion Fund. Very good. Uh, yes, it's going to be an excellent show. And uh, all right, Maya, thank you very much. Maya Dukmasova, my partner in crime from Injustice Watch, used to be with me uh, at The Reader, and she's moved on. Uh, so I will see you on Tuesday. All right, Maya? Yeah, All right, very good. That's great. Maya Dukmasova, uh, outstanding job. She does investigative reporter for Injustice Watch. Also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of all Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Maya and Terry Cosgrove will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for DeMarvelous. Leave yourself raised, take it up, petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. <laughs>